Congregants. Congregants. Settle down. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm excited too. The day's finally here. The day we've been all waiting for. January 12th. The feast day of St. Brandon. The patron saint of fresh boys I'm talking about here. Come on. And on this day, we of course are celebrating it with an extra special guest preacher. That's right, dear juicy congregants. We have Marcus Parks back to read the second installation of a little story we call Goodnight, My Love. The story must be told. The story must be told. But we'll get to Marcus in just a moment. First, I'd like Pastor Andrew to approach the pulpit and say a few words about St. Brandon on this St. Brandon's Feast Day. Pastor Andrew, the words about St. Brandon. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Reed. Hey there, Marcus, looking sharp. So. When Brother Reed asked me to say a few words about St. Brandon, I was like, uh, a few words? <laughs> Use the potty and get some popcorn, because Pastor Andrew's going to talk about St. Brandon all day long. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, it's my pleasure. Okay, so here's a history lesson. Here's a little TED Talk from Pastor Andrew. Lots of people don't know that St. Brandon, the patron saint of Fresh Boys, was relatively unknown while he was alive. Back then, if you pulled a young man off the street and asked if he knew what a fresh boy true was, he'd look around and say, What's this joker talking about? <laughs> because St. Brandon lived a simple, secluded life. One we should emulate. Because he embodied all that was fresh. He'd leave his cave on afternoons to play hide-and-seek with himself, or maybe a competitive game of one-person badminton. All the while, wearing a powder-blue sailor suit. He was rough and ready, and true. So one day, the story presents itself to St. Brandon. St. Brandon's fresh ways had pleased the story greatly, and the story asked St. Brandon to write down his thoughts, write down his words, and share them with the world. At this point, St. Brandon looks at the story and says, Uh, are you talking to me? <laughs> but he wrote and wrote and wrote the genesis of the Fresh Boy Movement. Let that sink in. The only tragedy is he died in a bank before he could see his words touch the lives of so many. Fast forward to 1981. Archaeologists in France finally find his writings in a cave, and St. Brandon's words catch on like wildfire, especially with the youth, not unlike the K-pop revolution of today. Soon, polite young men, polite young women, polite young people became fresh boys. Because all people can be fresh boys, and they devoted their lives to being fresh boys true. And you know, every time a fresh boy ceremony is held, when a polite young person becomes a fresh boy, I, I can feel St. Brandon down there smiling up at us. Because in our hearts, we are all fresh boys. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna start crying. Brother Reed, take the mic away from me. I'm, I'm rambling. All right, all right. I gotta say, I think we're ready for our story. Marcus, Marcus, come on up here, you goob. 
That was beautiful. I could fall asleep in your arms, Pastor Andrew. And at your feet, Brother Reed, I'd gladly curl up and mew politely until you stroked my greasy chin. <laughs> mm. I don't say it enough, but here it is. Two sweet boys. You were two sweet boys. I wish I had a pocket big enough for you both. So everywhere I went, I'd have two sweet boys. Okay, okay. Let's begin. From the Book of Fresh Tots, written by Boo T. Pajama Twins, part two of Good Night, My Love. When Guy felt the tremors of eruption cramps, it was after a big lunch. He assumed it was a stomachache. He wasn't due back at the clinic for two weeks. He took Pepto-Bismol and had a nap at home. He woke to abdominal pain. Feels like I swallowed a staple. He and Mandela were in a rideshare car, the driver going 15 over the speed limit, when the veiny blue tadpole burst through Guy's stomach wall. It was the size of a sunflower seed at implantation. Now, it had a mouth and a single eye, which covered the head like a thumbnail. Guy and Mandela's child arrived at the clinic splashing in a Snapple bottle. Mandela put it in her purse to support Guy who looked like a gunshot victim, save for the smile. She's so tiny. He had already decided they were a girl. Three months later, Mandela's eruption pains were harder to ignore. Guy and Mandela arrived at the clinic two hours before sunrise. A woman in a green habit admitted them to triage. We'll get you an eruption room as soon as we can. Seems like everyone picked the same night. During the first visit, the clinic felt like a hospital, but now the dissimilarities struck Guy. The smell was wrong. It was too briny, an animal, more akin to an aquarium. And while the staff looked medical enough, face masks, beepers, and charts, this faltered when they began to pray. A chime played over the PA. The sisters and brothers in the halls and in the room stopped whatever they were doing and bowed their heads. Hail Mary, full of grace. May you reach out and fill thee. This wasn't the Catholic prayer Guy heard in school, but a perversion of it. The team operating the clinic was Catholic, or they used to be, which made sense. Whatever Catholics believed about reproduction, they believed fanatically. The slack attention in their faces unnerved Mandela, but Guy stayed positive. He was gonna see his daughter again. She had spent three months hidden inside Mandela's body, tasting and learning. What form would her body take this time? Guy hoped it would help them settle on a name. What about Samantha? Guy asked Mandela as a sister in green drew her blood. Mandela sighed. We don't know it will be a girl. It will fit. I have a feeling. They slept in triage, listening to other men and women in their final eruptions, judging by their uninhibited screams. Fourth phase would be rough. Guy was glad the eruption belonged to Mandela. They had planned it together. Part of him still believed men weren't meant for this kind of thing. The other part, seeing the swell of Mandela's occupied abdomen, felt jealous. All night, the cacophony of the room never relented. Heart monitors played the pulsing interior soundscapes of three colonized stomachs at a time. Having gone a day without sleep, the rhythm oddly soothed Guy. Ah, ah. 
Guy did not at first realize it was Mandela's voice blending with the others. He had never heard her scream. You're just sitting there. Do something! Mandela had progressed too far for anesthesia. A team of two brothers carried her screaming down the hall, suspended in a taut bedsheet, while Guy ran behind with her purse, clothes, and overnight bag. Arriving at the eruption chamber, the facility lost all semblance of a hospital. It was Paleolithic, a chamber carved from solid stone with a molded plastic bed in the middle. A sister in green gave him a stock response. It's normal. Don't worry. Mandela screamed so hard, she popped a blood vessel in her right eye, giving the scene the feel of an exorcism. Still, Guy assured himself she was safe until one of the brothers began to swear. Oh, shit, 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 shit. Get Sister Morrison. We're losing the heartbeat. Now! Guy watched, but could do nothing. He had never felt more useless. Three more people ran into the room, two in green and one in gold. The husband couldn't see his wife through the waving, bloodied arms of the technicians. It's not coming out! Guy! Mandela began to plead, voice rising higher with each second she could not find her husband. He fought his way around the medical team and rolling exam trays. I'm here! He touched her shoulder, and she was reassured for a moment. Her head snapped forward as the scream burst from her mouth. Guy looked over and saw the sister in the gold habit wrist deep inside his wife's abdomen. A second later, she pulled free a limp creature. Their child was a tadpole last he saw it. Now the plasmana lid was more fish-like, mostly. Hanging from the dark trout body, arms the size of a doll's flapped with dead weight. Is the EO bath heated? Yes. Everyone, move! She splashed the fish child into a tray and watered the unmoving body with a teapot of ammonia-reeking liquid like it was a flower bed. Guy lost sight of the child. He left his wife's side and stood by the hot plate. What's happening? Mandela cried, delirious. Why won't anyone say anything? Guy saw the fish child in the gap between the attendant's torsos. She was lifeless. Guy's mind went slack, suddenly drained of a year's worth of hope and excitement and fear. He turned to share the news with his wife when the whole room erupted into a gasp. He looked back and caught movement. The tail splashed in the liquid. There was laughter and applause. A brother smiled, clapped Guy on the shoulder. (laughs) They just needed an audience. The staff parted and welcomed Guy forward, made room for Mandela to see. All Guy could comprehend at first were the fish qualities. He had to fight to construe signs of humanity. Second eye budding up to join the first, the healing over of gills. The arms. A doll's arms. Guy and Mandela connected eyes, and for a moment felt untethered from gravity. Do you want us to remove the stinger? Of course. Guy sighed in a daze, before he realized what he agreed to. Wait, what? The brother in green cranked his arm. Something cracked like a boiled lobster, and his child wailed an alien cry. The brother let go of the arms, now an irritated red blaze by the armpit. What did you do to her? The child screamed, and Guy held his hands over the slippery thing. It's okay. It's okay, Samantha. Guy tended to the fish. Mandela lost consciousness. Assistants were wheeling her out before Guy noticed. Where's she going? He shouted after the staff. Where's she? He gave up. His child was crying. 
Guy returned to their side and put his hands in the tub. They were cold, but growing warm. Guy slept in a wooden chair in a lobby playing CNN on mute. Birth rates decreasing, more fires in the east. He hadn't seen his wife or child for 12 hours. It could have been either 5 a.m. or 7 p.m. when his sister in gold woke him. Can we speak in my office? She led Guy to a supply closet cramped with a desk and two chairs. She helped him sit and spoke cautiously. Mandela is stable. The child, too, for now. You can still go forward with the next implantation. She frowned. If that's what you want to do. We encourage that, of course. Mother Mary has a plan for every plasminellid. But when the child has already erupted, there can be some... She gesticulated, moving her arms like juggling. A moral leeway. Whoa, Guy said, raising his hands like pulling brakes. I'm taking the next implant. What the hell are you talking about, if you decide? The sister deflated, forced to once again carefully explain the full scope of bad news to an unknowing victim. Pips isn't an easy procedure, even when it goes to plan. The risk increases significantly if two partners can't share the burden. Guy wasn't following. The child rejected Mandela's body. If we attempt another implantation, both of them will die. When Guy finally saw Mandela, a stain the size of a kidney bled through her wrappings. Her lips were tinted blue. He made it. Guy tried to smile. Barely. Her voice was a tiny thing. Guy took her hands in his and squeezed. The sister talked to me. She thinks... She thinks he can't. She said that there was a painful distance in Mandela's pupils. They already talked to me. Guy breathed shallow. Did they say that they don't know if we can keep going? She turned her glance to the sheets. She winced. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Knock, knock. He wheeled a bassinet into the post-eruption room. Within the squirming intermediary phase of the child flopped in an inch of liquid weighed down by a washcloth. They wriggled like a fish, save for the twitching hands. Guy reached out to touch his child, but Mandela did not. They're in transition, the brother in green said. Until now, they haven't had bones. This is all, you know, very new. It's sensory overload. Can I pick her up? Guy asked. I see someone thinks they'll be a girl. I have a hunch. Somehow, even with the doctor's bad news hanging over him, Guy smiled. The brother showed Guy how to swaddle the parasite with a wet towel as to hydrate the creature. They'll go through a gallon of the intermediate solution a day. You need to keep them wet, but not too wet. It sounds weird, but you kind of got to waterboard them. Mandela plied her fingers along the threads in her sheets, every breath shorter than the last. When the clinic finally released them, a team of four sisters closed their eyes, bowed their heads, and prayed with hands raised over them. Mandela kept her eyes open. Guy held the low-liquid tank in his lap the whole way home in the rideshare car, trying to keep the water level so it wouldn't drown or dry the fish child. It seemed paralyzed the black over large pupils freely rotating, finding no focus. He tried, 
but could not see the humanity he sensed in the hospital. His mind repeated an unwanted refrain. It's a fish. It's just a fish. Guy wheeled Mandela into their apartment, but had to leave the tank outside on the dirty tile. Can you lay me in the bedroom, please? Mandela groaned. The fish child outside the door began to splash. A flood of stimuli overwhelmed Guy. They had left in a blind rush 48 hours ago when the pains began. The trash was open. Flies swarmed in the sink. His eyes flashed about like the senseless fish child. Guy, are you listening to me? Pain made Mandela impatient. Guy! Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, let's get you in bed. But the moment he spoke, he heard a gut-wrenching cry. <coughs> it wasn't like Acorn, the child he met at Trishy and Crandon's, and their puckered whistle. This was a screeching blast that quaked the empty space in his gut. What was that? Mandela asked. It was her, Guy said in disbelief. He approached the tank outside their door. Before his eyes, the fish child inflated with air, arms twitching and tail slapping the water. They turned from flat to spherical in seconds and then vibrated from the effort as they forced air out. It didn't just escape the mouth. The eyes poked out from their wet sockets with the expulsion. They bleated and shrieked. Mandela tried to rise from her chair, but a grunt of pain sent her back down. The numb distance returned to her eyes. What's wrong? Guy said, hesitating to reach into the tank. Samantha, what's wrong? The creature inflated and deflated, eyes bulging. He lifted the fish from the tank, keeping the wet cloth wrapped tight over the mammalian smooth skin. They began to scream louder. Guy swayed the child back and forth, but still they screamed. Guy began to sing. Good night, my love, pleasant dreams. But it would not stop. Are you getting dry? Guy ran to the tank with the fish squirming and fighting his hold. Then he doubled back. He had nothing to scoop with. He ran to the sink, and by the time he returned with a measuring cup, he saw Mandela rolling herself to the bedroom. She spoke through grit teeth. They're hungry. Guy frowned. Mandela continued her slow departure. She did not look back at the child or the father. The implantation team had installed his feeding port a month ago, so it could heal before the homecoming. A plastic tube hung flaccid from his solar plexus. He had avoided washing it in the shower so he wouldn't have to touch it. He unbuttoned his shirt and brought the slick creature to his chest. Upon contact with his warm skin, new behaviors jittered the child's limbs. The flopping slowed, and tiny fists began to pinch. Absorbed mammalian instincts took over. The fish began rooting and sucking. From the puckered lips, a bright yellow proboscis flicked out, first an inch long, then two inches, then five, then a foot in length, and growing. Guy held out the feeding port tube. He closed his eyes, waited for the tongue to strike inside, to peck and eat his insides like a feasting crow. The nibbles never came. He opened his eyes and saw the slippery child had flipped over, open eyes wetly sticking to his skin, tongue flicking at air. Oh, honey. The child resisted his handling and began to screech. It's okay. It's okay. 
The child only grew louder. Guy carried the fish into the bathroom. He needed a mirror. Using his reflection to guide himself, he lined the mouth right up to the port. The tongue broke the rubber barrier. He felt it warm and wet under his skin. He closed his eyes. This was it. The sensation changed. The child began to scream. He opened his eyes. The tongue had escaped and was worming into his armpit. Honey, you need to eat. Come on. Guy never thought about a leech struggling to attach to a leg, a mosquito challenged by a vein. What kind of parasite couldn't feed itself? Guy kept his eyes open. He brought the child's mouth right to the port. He watched the tongue flick out like a blind man's cane, sweeping back and forth, but finding no target. Guy brought his fingers to the tongue and gently guided it directly inside. Guy fought nausea, watching the tongue enter and retreat, turn darker and darker. It prickled behind his ribs. There, see, it's not so hard. Keep going. The child began to scream. Guy didn't stop moving for the next six hours. Every time he stood still, the fish began to scream. The tank ran out of intermediate solution, so he had to mix together a new batch on the stove while holding the parasite. They squealed in pain, and he spilled non-iodized salt into the burner. The apartment smelled horrible all night. When he finally moistened the child again, he poured too much, and they gagged, coughing a fine mist of black particles all over Guy's hands in the plastic of the bath. When they weren't too dry, or too wet, or too still, they were hungry. The pain compounded with every feed. The tongue began to probe deeper. Guy felt pain in places he had never imagined. Mystery cramps and strains. Deep in his sinuses. Down the length of his spine. Inside his heart. All the while, he didn't hear from Mandela. Every second dragged. And yet suddenly six hours had passed without so much as a word from her. He brought the fish to the bedroom. Honey? He asked the back turned to him. The sheet was damp with sweat. Guy paced around the bed. Mandela wasn't asleep, but not cognizant either. Her eyes were half-lidded, staring into the distance with a look between pissed off and PTSD. Honey, do you want to hold her? No, she said and turned over, giving Guy her back once more. Are you still in pain? Yes. Guy circled the bed, tried to bring the fish into Mandela's view. She turned the other way. Can I do anything for you? Let me sleep. She would not look at the child. Guy couldn't keep his eyes open. Every blink lasted longer than he intended. He waited for paternal instincts to take over, or maybe maternal instincts. He wanted the oxytocin to flow and love to overwhelm. Yet, every time the child screamed, Guy's thoughts turned desperate. Fantasies of swinging the fish, hitting it with the butt of his palm. Ending the screams by anger and force entered his mind unwanted. The violent thoughts horrified him, and for that reason persisted. Please. Please. The sun began to rise. Guy had taken his shirt off hours ago, remembering how skin-on-skin contact could encourage feeding. He was starting to nod off when he heard the sound of light suction. The pain followed. 
His instinct was to jolt and panic for but a moment. Then it hit him. She was feeding. He slowly tilted his head and saw the yellow tongue flitting in and out of his port. The main eye and the smaller eye butt alike were half-lidded. So you do have more than one expression. In the pale blue of the cresting light, he felt calm and at peace. This is morning. You feel that? Morning. The fish child did not respond. They could not yet hear. They pricked the proboscis into his ear canals in the next vase, learned the schematics, and replicate ears during the final implantation. Still, you like talking to him. You're a good girl. Just like that. Feed on daddy. Feed on. Guy wasn't sure when he fell asleep, but when he woke, the child was not in his arms. The second it took to find them flopping on the floor was just long enough for him to imagine his wife wailing in agony, a jury shaking their heads, and a suicidal dose of fantasy guilt. She screamed. She was alive. Oh my god, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Guy picked the child up, unable to quell her wails. He began to cry as well. His brief moment of victory was followed so swiftly by failure. It felt like whiplash. How could anyone trust him with a child? He didn't want to ask for help, especially from someone in so much pain. But it wasn't like he could call his parents. When he told them about Pips, they threatened to cut him out of their will. He had no one, if he didn't have his wife. Mandy? He asked the darkness. His eyes adjusted, and he saw Mandela on her side crinkling atop the doggy pee pads they had brought in bulk for her recovery. It smelled ripe inside. Mandy, can you wake up? He increased his volume. Please, I need help. Finally, her eyelids fluttered. She sniffed hard at the air, nose wrinkling at the nitrous smell of the parasitic pre-infant. What is it? I can't keep my eyes open. I... Dropped her. Stop calling them her. She snapped. Fine, Guy was shouting now. It, them, I don't care, just help me. Mandela didn't have a choice. Guy practically threw the fish into her arms. The look she gave him withered his heart. An insulted glare like he had just slapped her. Yet, her eyes would not fall on the child. She refused. Anger flashed over Guy in a wave. He hated his wife. How could she be so calloused? This was her idea. Listen, I know you don't like her. I know you gave up. Just help me for 30 minutes. Is that too much to ask? The anger in Guy's voice shocked him. He had never spoken like this before. Guilt creased lines into Mandela's face. He knew he had hurt her. But the knowledge was numbed by sleeplessness. It's not like that, she said. But it was too late. Guy left for the living room and collapsed on the couch. He closed his eyes, and the world disappeared. Thunder woke Guy up. Their apartment was pitch black. The clinks of the pipes and the shouts of the neighbors were buried under the rain hammering on the air conditioner. He couldn't tell how long he'd been asleep. For a moment, he forgot he had any responsibility at all. Samantha? Where was she? The void of her absence stung like a bullet. 
His first thought was that he dropped her again. He fought panic, and he remembered shoving the child off on his sick wife. The memory sat bitter in the back of his throat. He rose to his feet and made for the bedroom, ready to apologize. He creaked the door open, but did not go inside. In silhouette, he saw his wife cradling the child in her arms. There were black shapes rimmed with moonlight. The pair swayed back and forth in lullaby rhythm. Guy watched them from the doorway without speaking a word. Mandela's tensed features had softened. She curved around the child, limbs entwined. The fish no longer squirmed or thrashed. Lightning flashed, and he saw Mandela's fingers laced around the doll arms. A yellow tongue hung lazily out of Samantha's mouth, too tired to feed. Mandela hummed gently, rocking the wetly wrapped bundle back and forth. His wife was crying. Though he had spent hours with the child standing in the doorway, Guy felt like an intruder. Sleepless thoughts of hatred came back to him. He didn't deserve such beauty. Not that it would last. The child needed four implantations, and the second had almost killed Mandela. Guy recalled the sister in gold, the pity in her eyes. She was sure the child wouldn't make it. It meant Mandela had suffered months for... nothing. The thought brought Guy close to tears. He couldn't let all this be nothing. Guy must have been breathing heavily, because Mandela turned to the door. Guy? Is that you? He waited. Yes. Come sit with us. Guy walked into the room, around the bed, and sat so the child was between them. He slouched shoulder to shoulder with his wife. It had been days since he had been by her side. The small details of her body refreshed him. The steady radiator warmth of her skin. That stale beer smell of her unbrushed teeth that always made him thirsty. Our body expanded and shrank as she breathed. He'd forgotten such simple details in his delirium. I'm sorry, Mandela began. No, Guy said. I'm sorry. He raised a shaky hand and brought it to the fish's smooth mammal skin. He wasn't sure how, but it seemed less fish-like now. Fish, for example, don't sleep. Not like this. They don't rest their eyes, slack their mouth, breathe like they just learned how. In, out, in, rapid triplets. I didn't want to hold them. No, I wanted to, but I wouldn't let myself. Her eyes glistened. I was afraid I would. She swallowed. Grow too attached, because it will hurt too much when they die. Guy tried to interject, but Mandela stopped him. Let me finish. I'm the reason they won't get to live. My fucking body. I couldn't even... She struggled to speak. My body won't let us. I know what you're going to say. I know you understand. You get how it feels to not be able to do your part. I never blamed you for it. But it's me now. She looked at the child with such love and regret. It's worse that we could get started. Part of me wishes I... Wishes I never brought it up. But then... 
I look at them. Samantha. Guy smiled. Mandela rolled her eyes. Whatever their name is, I didn't want to enjoy them. But the moment I let myself... The tears fell. I saw how selfish it was. They're here. Whether they stay, that's different. But I have to do what I can now, because... She fought for the words. Because this may be the only week we know them. Guy hugged her. They both cried, but tried to do so quietly as to not wake the child. The emotions poured out, bottled up for too many nights and shaken too often. When the tears dried, the whole family fell asleep, drained empty. They had to take the fish back to the clinic for a one-day checkup. If they had put on weight, Guy could progress with feedings unsupervised. The calm of the night before lasted all morning until the Uber failed to arrive. We have to be at the vet in 15 minutes, Guy groaned, struggling to arrange a ride. This fucking Uber! Guy! Mandela said in a disapproving tone. You did it again. Did what? You called it a vet! Oh, I... I didn't mean... It's okay. I have to catch myself, too. Inside a brine-reeking exam room, a sister in a green habit checked the fish child. The unnamed parasite went silent at her proddings, sensing expertise from the practice swings of arms as they checked the pulse, measured the skin pH, and took blood samples. They're perfectly healthy, she said, and the couple finally exhaled. They're all set for the next implantation, barring any hiccups. She smiled. The couple sank at the words. Oh, did I touch on a sore subject? No, it's okay. Mandela grimaced. We have to talk about it eventually. Guy shook his head. What's there to talk about? Mandela ignored him. It's just complicated because, well, I can't take another implantation. The sister made a solemn nod. Yes, and you have the two most difficult phases to go. Have you considered a surrogate? Mandela began to tear up, shaking her head. I don't have a family anymore, and guys don't exactly approve. She and the sister broke into a quick burst of conversation. Guy had to interrupt them. Didn't you hear me? I said... What's there to talk about? The sister and Mandela didn't follow. It's me. I'll take both of them. Sir. The sister said at once. That's not... It's noble, yes, but not safe, especially considering you already bore one round. Yeah, the first. You kidding? It was a tummy ache. We didn't even get here in time. Maybe that's how it works. Guy put his hand on Mandela's shoulder and she fought the dread in her face to smile for him. Maybe I'm good enough for the both of us. Guy, I don't know. Well, I do. I have a feeling. He put a hand to the fish. No, he corrected himself. The child. The whole staff came out to watch the implantation four days later. The fish form had grown bulkier in the arms, and the leg buds had filled out little nubs. Guy sat in the stone-carved room, 
shirtless on an exam table, the fish face flopping on his chest covered by a moist towel. Sisters in gold monitored both sets of vitals. A sister in green held his hand. Get ready, they're about to shed. The fish went lifeless in the eyes, and the arms fell limp. Guy knew how the face shift worked, but his heart still tore, even at this suggestion of death. Open the entry canal. Guy winced as the sister cranked the separator. He thanked God silently for the anesthesia, but wished for earplugs. The cracking of bone grew muffled by liquid. Here they come. Guy tilted his head and saw the belly of the wobbling fish body distend outward. The proboscis poked through first, flicking back and forth to widen the hole. Samantha emerged from the belly, skin glossy with pitch black chum. The body was small, it would grow, but the shape was new. Their arms were fully a part of them now, the legs actual appendages. The little mouth puckered around the proboscis, sucking at the air from a bulb-like head. Guided by prods of the sister's finger, Samantha wiggled her head into the incision. I feel her, Guy said, eyes watering. I can feel her. The child slid inside Guy's stomach. The staff broke out into applause, several shouting, Hail Mary! Guy didn't see them. He only saw Mandela beside him, lip trembling, but her eyes smiling. He felt the child inside him again, wriggling and twisting. He felt whole. The story must be told. Thank you, dear Marcus. I, for one, can't wait until two weeks from now when Chaplain Jackie Zabrowski will read the third and final installment of Good Night, My Love. Good gracious, everything's coming up story this year. <laughs> Now, let us raise our holy grace chalices for a final toast to Saint Brandon, the patron saint of fresh boys. Oh, Brandon, you're so fresh, you're so fresh, yay. Powder blue suit, a fresh boy true, we raise our grace to you. Alrighty, oh, and a quick update. The 30th annual Fresh Boy competition has been postponed until fall while we wait out the gray storms. It'll still take place at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, of course, and your tickets and registrations are guaranteed. If you haven't bought tickets yet or would like to register, please go to www.thestorymustbetold.com right now. Get home safe, everyone. I've got some freshen to do. That was the story must be told, and I memorized a lot of names that start with B. Hey, buddy, join our Patreon, pal. We have lots of fun tiers depending on how much cheddar you want to cough up. Some congregants get a welcome package. Others join an exclusive monthly VIP chat with the clergy. Nearly all get exclusive access to our exclusive podcast, The 522 Club. The clergy chat story and has some goops. Brandon, Bill, Bertha, Bertley, Bram. Hey, pal. Follow us on social media, buddy, at TSMBTPod on Instagram and Twitter. Barthos, Bim, Banks, Bamarama, Rathew. 
Hey Buddy, rate and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. We need all the help we can get or else the government will shut us down. Bimplo, breathing, Bimp, Bert, Elizabeth. I just got your text about Carl's computer dying. Let me just finish my last line. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.